and welcome to the Rewelding Podcast with your host, Ella Cottrell. This is a conversational style interview series where I speak to women who are focused on rebuilding oppressive and outdated systems for collective transformation. Rewelding is a socialist term that refers to reconstructing the world or attempting to view it differently. I'm interested in being a conduit for social change, sharing resources and bringing ideas to life that facilitate the evolution of new systems founded on cooperation, equity and community. I'm a feminine embodiment guide, somatic trauma educator with an honors degree in psychology, helping women build safety, sovereignty and autonomy in their bodies. Thank you so much for being here with me as we work together to reimagine a new radiant world for all bodies. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before I start this episode with the beautiful Kate Leeper, I wanted to pop in and just acknowledge that it's been about a month since I last uh, put up an episode on the Rewilding podcast and I've really been feeling into the pace and the consistency of episodes and recording and what feels good for me. Uh, The Rewilding podcast is really about finding opportunities to disrupt the dominant culture and I have been feeling the pressure from no one in particular, but from, I suppose, the systems and external noise around me to be more consistent and to upload more regularly. And um, when I feel the need to produce more and create more consistently, I have to remind myself that change starts by following what feels true, not what feels expected. And for me, a pace with this podcast that feels really good is about once a month, maybe twice a month at max, having these episodes and these interviews. So um, I just wanted to share that that's what's been going on behind the scenes. I really love this space. I'm excited to see the space evolve and to continue these really important conversations. And um, so they'll be happening about once a month now. And I really appreciate all the support that I've received from everyone in this space. Uh, If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd really ask you to uh, pop it in and give it a five-star rating if that feels true and um, yeah, following along either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That just allows my podcast to be seen on a greater platform. Thank you for all your support and I hope you enjoy this episode with Kate Leeper. Beautiful. Okay, so today we have Kate Leeper here on the Rewilding podcast. So Kate has a double degree in education and creative industries, a master of counseling and psychotherapy, and as a certified feminine embodiment coach. Through the lens of the archetypal feminine and with an emphasis on sensual movement, ritual, and creative expression, Kate is devoted to sharing the healing gifts and leadership power of the sensual alchemy method to women all over the world. Like me and most women I talk to, Kate has come from a past of distrusting her body, stuck in loops of intellectualizing past traumas and grief cycles, and through a longing to to feel whole and reclaim her personal power, led her to the world of embodiment and somatics. Kate, what an honor it is to have you here today and have this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Ella. It really is such a privilege. Oh yeah, I feel it. And I feel so excited to have this conversation around embodiment and somatic wisdom and grief and pain and pleasure and aliveness because they're just things that are so alive for me in my body as well. And I remember you were the first person who gave me my feminine embodiment uh, session and it was so amazing. Like I just remember, I mean, I went into it. I remember I said to you, I'm having trouble with my relationship. I don't know which direction I want to go in. I feel like I need to like call in a psychic because I have no idea how I'm supposed to like tap into (laughs) what I want to do. And you were like, oh my gosh, no, we don't need a psychic. Let's just go through the session and see what kind of comes up. And it was so incredible, not only to come into the heart of like, oh, wow, like my body really knows the truth of what it wants and to feel that and also to see the layers of like anxiety and pain and shame and conditioning that came before that truth was really interesting to me and Mm -hmm. nothing had really landed in that way before like I'd never experienced that power of like coming back home to your body as someone who'd been you know in talk therapy for years and years and years um, with different psychologists and never had been kind of never had that, um, invitation of like, what's in your heart and what's in your Mm -hmm. body and what are you feeling? And so I'd love for you to first talk about like 
what is feminine embodiment work and like how do we use that in session as a way to kind of set the foundation for people listening who may not really understand Mm. what it is that we do? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, firstly, can I just say, I just got goosebumps because Mm. you took me right back. I remember that session. Mm. I remember meeting you and it's just, it is so profound when we have those experiences that completely challenge what it is we've believed we are capable of understanding about ourselves, knowing Mm. about ourselves. And so, yeah, I I just wanted to take a second just to say thank you because that means a lot. And also now to witness you Mm. doing this work for others and having these conversations is just phenomenal. And this is the cycle, you know, Mm. this is just this incredibly rich community that um, continues to develop around Mm. the principles and the philosophies of this work. So very cool. Um, And look, I feel like there is about a billion answers to what is feminine embodiment and probably, you know, half of those I could offer on any given day in any given moment because for me, this work is an invitation into connecting to our bodies, our feeling sensory bodies, our emotional bodies, and really accessing all that exists, the entire human landscape that exists within us through this gateway, you know, of of what is heaviest on our heart, what is the greatest desire on our heart, what what is really front and centre for us in our life, whatever that might look like, right, whether that is a longing or a loss or a challenge or a... Um, or just a really sticky situation that we're trying to navigate, feminine embodiment asks us to inhabit our fullest selves in order to really untangle, you know, who am I in the midst of all this? When I when I shut down all of the, the myriad voices from outside of me, when I stop clutching and grasping at the expertise of others and and the frameworks and the ideologies that tell me how I should think and feel, who am I in this body and what wisdom is there to be known? And that can sound quite spiritual and woo-woo and and some aspects of it perhaps are. And then also it's really very grounded and anchored in just this flesh and bone right? We can start there. We can start with the physical as a portal into the rest of us, the, mm. you know, the feeling parts and the, um, yeah, the sensual parts. And so, it, yeah, I, that's not really in a nutshell, is it? But <laughs> but that's, I guess to that's my answer for you mm. today. And, and mm. this is the feminine part for me is as we do that, as we come into really answering that question of who am I in the fullness of my human experience, how can I access that and and allow that to kind of inform my life in a way that is connected to flow, to Mm. nature, to cycles, to intuition, to creativity, to sensuality? And that is the feminine piece uh, for me at this, Mm. particularly at this point in my life. They're the questions that I ask. Mm, oh my god so beautiful the way that you articulate that is just so like I can feel my body really relaxing and just melting into that because it's so true and it is such a hard question to answer Mm -hmm. you know when anyone says to me like what is feminine embodiment I'm like oh god like do you have 10 minutes you have an hour like let's have a session (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. absolutely and I think you articulated that so well is that our body is a gateway. Our body is a portal to greater wisdom. And I think for me, like in simplicity, it's like there's so much data there through the mm-hmm. sensations, through the emotions, through imagery, like the women I work with and I as well, like have such a 
image like a visual gift and when we are allowed to kind of tap into the body there's so much there for us to feel and to acknowledge and to be with and sessions Mm -hmm. can look you know any particular way but it's really the heart of it is like meeting the core truth of who we are right and along the way we're going to meet as I was saying those tensions and the layers of conditioning and oh but am I allowed to be that person and who am I to be that person and so we meet all of those without Mm -hmm. judgment and I think it's just such a beautiful way to anchor into like what we're talking about today is like this is this is the heart of what we're trying to get at, which is the truth mm-hmm. of who we are as feminine beings, as women, as anyone in a body, realistically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what I would love for you to talk to about after that is like something that's always on my heart is that we live in a world that is afraid to deeply feel and that we are so chronically disembodied, you know, no thanks to systems like capitalism and this kind of like consumerist culture, which is basically that humans are vessels for productivity and for Mm -hmm. creation and nothing else. And I wanted you to speak about like, who were you before you came to this world? Like who were you before Mm -hmm. the feeling, the richness, the expansion, the Mm -hmm. Portal, the gateway, what did that look like for you? And maybe some of the impacts of like bypassing the feeling, mm-hmm. sensing a live person that you are. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we'll walk down memory lane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I've been so many versions of myself, um, as I'm sure we all experience. But when I when I think back to I suppose those major points, right, those major kind of shifts in life where a new iteration of self is born, Mm. I feel like there was this period after school pretty much where I was always, uh, I always knew myself as a very creative, um, expressive human since birth. I was always writing and dancing and singing and and I just saw the world through this this, you know, creative lens. And I just it was very fascinating for me because I had all of these aspirations towards creativity upon leaving school. And I ended up uh and which I guess it is still intrinsically creative, but I ended up um, going into a Bachelor of Education and it was creative industries. Uh, it was a double degree. So I was kind of like dabbling. But um, there was just this this emphasis on me to be like, be sensible, Kate. <laughs> be sensible. Make sure you get, and I just remember having that reflected back. It's like, oh yes, that's a wise move, teaching. And I was like, well, I don't really know I want to be one, but it sounds like a, what an adult would do. And so like I said, I certainly don't actually have any regrets over that because I learned so much about myself, um, training as a teacher and then working as a teacher in high schools. But I think that was kind of that walk in the road where, of course, we don't know who we are at that age. We've got no idea. But where that that innate part of me that had just flourished as a young woman just that lid just started to be kind of put on her as to what was acceptable and what was okay. And so from that point, I tried to adult, uh, you know, and moved overseas and, and I did all of these things that were exciting and adventurous, but bit by bit by bit, I just look back now and just see the losses, the accumulated losses over time. And I talk a lot about this in my work with grief. It's that we don't actually identify so much of what we carry in our felt experience as grief because we don't understand that there is this culmination of loss that happens, particularly, as you say, living in systems that really do. They're only interested in us as vessels of productivity, as you say, and systems that do prize intellect over intuition and um, that aren't really all that interested in um, 
you know, in beauty and pleasure, unless it's serving a very small minority, unless it is about living into the male gaze. There's so many different areas um, in which particularly for those identifying as women that we lose along the way. And it starts with these moments of kind of abandoning our creative impulse, mm-hmm. abandoning those those moments of what really is going to is going to allow me to live into the fullest version of myself here and leaning into the fear a lot of the time that no that's just not okay that's not acceptable what will people think will i be lovable will i be safe all of those questions that one by one over time, for me personally, I can now look back and just see these moments of just of just really following a script mm-hmm. that um, that looked on paper like a very, uh, you know, like the script of success and the script of, of what a, a young woman would do to ensure that she was... Um, you know, she was living her best life and yet inside me, yeah, I was just becoming kind of emptier and emptier. And so when it came to then um, having my babies, I mean, there are big catalysts there for just who on earth am I? You know, there's enormous changes to the way that I saw the world. I had these little mirrors. I have three daughters, so I can't, (laughs) you know, I just have these little mirrors all the time going like just really forcing me to look Mm -hmm. at the choices that I make, to look at the choices I have made and the repercussions of that. And so mothering particularly the beginning of my mothering journey, it was an enormously challenging time because I did come face to face with this huge sense of emptiness and I kept filling it mm. with more degrees, <laughs> with like <laughs> <That's> more, <the laughs> more accomplishments. Oh, this is it, Kate. You've just got to be a bit smarter. Mm. You know, you've just got to do another training, another degree. And so really it was up until, I mean, I've just turned 40 this year and it was up until a major loss um, and I recognise now the accumulation of losses, as I mentioned, but a major loss in the death of my sister four years ago and that essentially shook me to the core because Mm. she was a 30-year-old woman, healthy, beautiful, thriving in every sense of the word who all of a sudden was uh, about to die from, Mm. you know, stage four brain tumour. And so if there's any kind of a wake-up call, that's one. And so really ever since that point, I have been coming into and really inviting a deeper relationship with my body that has some days felt like a battlefield and other days felt like a safe sanctuary. And this is the dance that I do. So, and I think this is the dance that we can support women through is it understanding that, yeah, you, you don't just necessarily kind of don your flower crown in a woman's circle and, mm-hmm. and say some beautiful affirmations together, which can feel really nice and definitely do that if you get the opportunity. But this kind of work and coming back into our bodies um, is, it's brave work. It's beautiful work. But it's brave work because we do come face to face with all of those choices, all of the external uh, forces that have kind of kept us from our with from our wisdom, from our longings, and yet it is also the pathway to reclaiming that. So, mm. yeah, it's it's been a it's been quite the decade, I've got to say, particularly. Yeah. Mm, Wow. Oh my gosh. I had so much goosebumps as you were walking through that. And I feel so much resonance in your story compared to my story as well. And I'm sure so many people listening will say, oh yeah, I can really relate to that sense of feeling like I have to live my life based on what it looks like on paper. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing all the things that the external world is saying, this is a good thing. And you're saying, okay, well, it must be a good thing because everyone is telling me this is a good thing. It's a wise choice, Kate, Mm -hmm. like, you know, great, you know, very sensible. And so 
I know I had a similar experience in where I was doing my honors degree in psychology and I got halfway through my honors and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I can't do it, you know? And I I went through towards the end. And after that, I kind of had this fork in the road decision where I was like, okay, I follow my heart, which is this like feminine arts mystery world. I have no idea what I even want to do. I didn't even know about embodiment. I was like, okay, honestly, like I know something is there, but I have no idea what it is. Or I follow this, as you say, like sensible, wise, clinical psychology route, which everyone mm-hmm. is telling me I should do. And it's mm-hmm. going to look really good on paper and I'm going to pay- get paid really well. And I had this decision where I was like, I can't afford not to live in alignment with my heart, which is, you know, what you're saying, like you have this kind of, you know, awakening, you know, you had this huge awakening of like, hey, like we are really finite here and Mm -hmm. I have really got to follow what's true in my body or I risk this life of like emptiness Mm -hmm. and trying to chase like chase things that maybe this will be the thing and I can so relate to that where you're like oh you know maybe if I just like go travel here or I do this or I do that and then I'm gonna feel okay in myself and it's not until we come home and we do the brave thing and we do the courageous thing of listening to the like the truth of what's in us Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean it's gonna be an easy journey after that I mean no it does not no (laughs) (laughs) If anything, it's just going to be as crazy and tumultuous as as the initial journey, but it's so worth it, right? It really is. And, you know, what I say to that is when we get to the fork in the road, often we are faced with two incredibly hard choices. Mm. It is we either go down that path that, as you say, society has decided is the best for us and it is, you know, X plus Y equals Z and, of course, then we will feel incredibly mm-hmm. content and fulfilled or we follow the other path which sounds romantic. It sounds like, yes, we follow our heart and our body and our, our deepest <laughs> desires and yet that is just another hard because... Mm that kind of hard is met with not only those societal expectations as as they tried to, you know, try to kind of um, crush us and, and tear our desires away from us or squash them down, but we are continually met with our own internalization of that, with mm. the illusions that um, we've decided are our truth. And so it's really about choosing which of the two hearts am I going to take and which one, for me, the decision really came to if you choose this hard, then it will slowly kill me. Mm. You know, if I choose this hard, it will slowly kill me. If I choose this hard, then my sense is that it will slowly bring me back to life. And that really was the wisdom and is the wisdom that I continue to come back to because I forget daily. (laughs) (laughs) I wake up and I'm like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this, uh, yeah, this is hard because I feel like we are constantly met with these forks in the road Mm. and to really, really deeply follow what is most aligned and most true to who mm. we are is it is challenging but it is just so profoundly beautiful and it is cycle breaking mm. and so maybe the next generations won't have to have two hearts <laughs> they will have you know they'll have one ridiculous option, which is the mm-hmm. option that society is trying to place on them. And of mm-hmm. course they wouldn't do that. And then they will have the option that feels aligned and alive. And yes, then there'll be obstacles, but mm. they know that it's true. They know it's right. Oh my God. I like so beautiful. And I, I couldn't have said that better myself where it's like the two hearts and 
one will slowly kill me and the other is going to slowly bring me back to life. And I really feel that in my body. And I remember I had that feeling like I'd come from such bad mental health where I had such an intense rock bottom of like, I don't know if I can continue to like be in this space living like this. And it was very much like the only option out of here is to not or to live in alignment with my heart and to follow what is true and to connect with my truth, even when, and especially when the external noise is like, what are you doing? You know, because the other option is, is that internal sense of like, I I'm dying. I feel suffocated. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm being squashed, like my creativity, my soul. And that's just your body saying like, Hey, you're on the wrong path. Like Mm -hmm. this is not meant for you. And, you know, it's not a matter of ignoring it or doing things on the outside to make it go away. It's a matter of like listening to that and saying, you know what, you're right. Mm -hmm. And I remember my ego was so like, oh, what do you mean? You're not going to be a clinical psychologist. What do you mean you're going to go study feminine embodiment coaching? Like what even (laughs) is that? (laughs) Right. Like, sorry, mom, I'm not going to go be like a doctorate. I'm going to go do this like really woo thing. And, you know, that was hard. And especially Mm -hmm. coming from an academic background with people doing like PhDs and you Mm -hmm. have to really come face to face with like, okay, this is so hard for me to do, but I have to walk away from what's not true, what's not aligned, follow my body's instinct and and honor that and back myself, even and especially when it feels really challenging. So I just, I love the way that you you shared that because it feels so pertinent to my journey. And I'm sure so many women mm-hmm. listening can feel the same way, especially if you're in more of a spiritual, feminized kind of space. Our society really doesn't honor that or see that as something that's worthy. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not worthy. It just means that we live in a patriarchy, right? <laughs> well, that's right. That's exactly right. It just means that we're, yeah, we're certainly up against it. And Mm -hmm. so how can we find each other Mm -hmm. in this? You know, how can we support each other? How can we really see and receive each other in the depths and the challenges and the absolute head fuckery of it all? Um, That's for me, that is a lifeline, you know, mm. that I ask that question all the time. And even, you know, coming and having this conversation today and, and the more conversations that we have and share, it's just solidifying bit by bit that, no, this is this is the medicine. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I really, really love that. And I know that you share a lot about grief and it feels like a really beautiful kind of segue following onto that. But I wanted you to talk about like obviously society's orientation to the way that we view grief and how that can be quite harmful and I want you to talk about what's your relationship with grief and how do you let that inform the way that you live in the world especially in this embodied perspective Mm -hmm. yeah and and I'm so glad that you used the exact words what is your relationship with grief Mm. because that's actually really important Mm. and to term it in that way actually allows for a bit of space. And what I mean by that is a lot of the time when we talk about grief, mm. uh, it it's one of those topics that, you know, you're never the, the favourite person at the dinner party when you're the one who <laughs> brings up grief because it is stigmatised. It's taboo. It's, you know, um, it's religion, it's politics, it's grief. And so, What I find really helpful is when we can actually step back and look at grief as, you know, this human state that has been pathologized and made out to be um, something that only occurs when we are somehow broken. And so we only work with grief if we have the intention of fixing it, you know, and getting beyond it, if we can really step back from that and understand what it is to grieve, how grief actually allows us to live much more fuller, expressed, connected lives, then we've got somewhere to go with it. And so it is all about our relationship, how we tend to our grief and 
I feel like the most important premise that my work is anchored in is this idea that grief is not something that we heal. We're not able to heal grief. And so if I ever kind of see someone writing about healing their grief and, you know, those lovely memes that scattered through uh, social media about healing grief, I'm always like, okay, run. Because (laughs) it's just not possible. Grief is not an ailment. It is not a disease. And therefore, it cannot be pathologized. There are symptoms of grief that that might uh, that might, I guess, be um, you could look at from that paradigm of of healing. But essentially, I relate to my grief as this incredible, wise, guiding star. You know, it is when I am connected to my grief, I am connected to what is absolutely true and right for me. And that is because my grief illuminates everything that is deeply important to me. It illuminates the way that I wish to move through the world in the most authentically expressed way that I can. It shows me how to love better. It shows me how to, um, it, it shows me ultimately how to be more human in every sense of the word. And it shows me where joy and pleasure and aliveness and and life force, you know, all of these things where they are out of balance, where I'm not, where I'm not really accessing them in order to live fully. And so I've never found a better companion in my life than grief. And that's not something you're going to hear every day. (laughs) And does that mean that grief isn't excruciatingly painful sometimes? Absolutely not. Grief has swallowed me whole many occasions. It is not something, it is not a state of being that I am excited to inhabit. And I have really spent a lot of time cultivating intimacy with the language of grief as it moves within me, through me, as me, as I move as it. And that has been just a deep curiosity for me ever since my sister died particularly. But that loss, as I said earlier, was the catalyst for just, it was like it just shone a major spotlight on so much of my life and all of those accumulated losses, you know, of identity, of bodily autonomy, those times I'd been hurt, deeply hurt, of those times of self-betrayal and self-abandonment, the, you know, the moments that I was diagnosed with um, autoimmune disease and, and these, you know, motherhood and my, those identities um, as they shifted for me and challenged so much about who I was, all of a sudden I was just looking at them and seeing this dance of avoidance and intellectualization and and rejecting that part of me to try to be polished and perfect and shiny and helpful because I was a psychotherapist, so of course I had to have my shit together, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, Grief for me has been an invitation into really softening and really deeply learning about what it is to to be with all of the qualities and the textures of sorrow, of loss, and then allow them to really inform me of what it is I really long for. So it's kind of just, it's with me every day. And that's okay because sometimes it looks beautiful and glistening and and full of possibilities. And that's really what I trust. Mm, Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so beautiful to hear the way that you speak about this relationship to grief. And I love that you said it's not about fixing grief and it's not about, you know, making this pathologized or trying to get on the other side of grief as quickly as we can, because I know that our culture is very much like any uncomfortable sensation Mm -hmm. or emotion is bad. You know, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel my shame. I don't want to feel my sorrow. I don't want to feel my neglect. I don't want to feel, you know, all of these things, but it's in the feeling and a, and a generating a curious relationship to that we can begin to understand the message underneath it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I always say this to the women I work with, like, let your body, like, inform you and don't make it wrong and it's not about how do we fix this so we can get on the other side of this it's how do we be with this right how do I allow myself the ability to soften into what is uncomfortable and I just think that's such a beautiful way to you know that shift of perspective but also that shift of language which is really around like the wise you know, this wise essence, this wise part of you, which I think is so beautiful. And imagine if everyone had this same shift of Mm -hmm. how can I learn from this and how can I be with this and allow this to be a part of me, not with the goal so that it can quickly shift to something else, but just Mm -hmm. so that I can start to embrace the fullness of who I am in every moment and an understanding that the grief you know, will evolve and transmute and change and adapt. And maybe it will come back even bigger next year, or, you know, we can never know how these things Mm -hmm. are going to operate, but I just love that so much. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that we can take away. And something on the other side of that is that how can we maybe tend to a relationship that feels a bit safer, you know, with grief and with those big emotions. Because I know for me, I spent a lifetime in avoidance, a lifetime running from my body because of the intensity of the things yes. that I felt. And I felt if I allow myself to feel that neglect or that, you know, that pain of abandonment, I will die. Like it really right. did feel like that. And so mm-hmm. how do you help people come to a sense of safety in those, you know, in grief especially, which is so whole and consuming. That's right. Yes. And it's fundamental. So this work doesn't really start Mm. until safety is established. And that is, it has to be a gentle, slow process because yes, every woman's body is different. Every woman's experience of the world is different. Our capacities to be with intensity is different. And so a lot of the time, many women actually hold on to enormous loss around their sense of safety in their body. I know I certainly did. So much grief existed because I didn't feel safe in my body. And we need to see the connection between that We can't just kind of go straight into, okay, let's feel our deep feelings. Mm. You know, that's that's not only impossible because the body won't let us go Mm. anywhere that it's actually not ready for. And yet we can't trust that until we do start this really slow, gentle work of simply finding out what does our body feel like? What does it feel like in my physical system in my emotional world, what are the sensations alive in me when I feel completely safe and held? Mm. And that's going to be different for each woman. So that is a process of exploration. There are for sure tried and true ways that we can do that using embodiment and somatic tools and processes. Absolutely. And it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with resensitizing too our experience of even feeling gravity mm. and and um, allowing ourselves to feel held in just simply by the energy around us and then noticing what happens in our body and amplifying that, letting that be there, you know, kind of turning up the volume, down the volume on some of these sensations as we go. And so it's a really, um, it, it's a process of beginning to trust the body and come into this relationship of ally with the body. And that can take a few sessions Mm. before we start to just, again, through that curious lens, invite 
invite the grief and it's not even necessarily sometimes it's like um we're not even talking about grief at all mm. we're just talking about what's present what you're feeling what you're noticing and often the grief will kind of raise its hand hey i'm here i'm ready and so i'm just a firm believer in allowing the body to lead and guide and grief being one of those human states that that does hide as you say underneath some layers there will be um there might be some some numbness and avoidance and then there will be some fire and some anger and there will be some shame and tenderness and we will get to the grief all in good time and so as we do that the body gently and gradually opens its capacity to be able to feel. And sometimes it will just be starting with that little toe in and just really welcoming, okay, oh, there's this discomfort in my belly. There's this clenching. Whatever the grief uh, or however it wants to be known through the body is accepted and recognised, acknowledged, welcomed. And so bit by bit this softening does happen and and that wise guidance of grief will, you know, kind of take each woman on their own journey to access what is at the heart. Mm. And so it's not, you know, sometimes it can feel cathartic, but actually it is a slow burn and it is a process of intimacy. So over time it's like, oh, my grief feels like that messenger, you know, that informer that you spoke to before, Ella, it doesn't feel like this shadowy, um, sinister enemy that I have to keep running from because I've just opened the door slowly mm. and, and just allowed for safety to, to kind of um, be paramount and then the grief to emerge in its own beautiful timing. And I just wanted to add to that, without having to necessarily go there unless you want to, but a lot of my work um, really centres on this idea of holding paradox. So where we are contacting grief, we are also using opportunities to move towards what feels good and alive mm. and sustaining and safe in the body. And sometimes that just feels like okayness, like a baseline of okayness. And sometimes that feels like pleasure. And so for a woman really desiring to come into this intimacy with grief, but is also feeling like, oh my God, who has time for that? Um, I like to really just emphasize that, you know, we there is a lot of scope to feel good in this mm. work as well. And that's very countercultural and very revolutionary, but it's actually possible for you to leave our session feeling fantastic. Imagine mm. that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love that. And that was going to be my next thing. And I think let's just anchor straight into it because it feels so alive. Yeah. But, you know, how can we use embodiment as a vehicle towards greater sensual aliveness and, and that sense of, you know, there's grief. And the paradox of that is there's also pleasure. And I think sometimes that we can think, you know, oh, if I'm feeling grief, then I'm not feeling pleasure. And I like yes. to tell people that there are parts of us with multiple truths and desires and yearnings, and there could be hundreds of parts in you that feel so many different things. But because we live in this culture that says, I am one person with mm -hmm. one mind and one body, I must feel only this at one time. And we know that that's not true. And so I'd love for you, yes, to speak to more about the paradox of pleasure and how we can use grief as a vehicle towards more pleasure as well. Mm, yes, yes. And it is really the most exciting part about this work, I've got mm. to say. And and it it was absolutely 100% born of my own experience. And so I feel incredibly blessed to have already trained in feminine embodiment uh, prior to my sister's death. Mm. And so I was already coming into contact with some pretty gnarly stuff um, that had accumulated in my system over time. But when my sister died, I was just so thankful that I already, I had like a an access point in to expressing some of the bigness of my grief through, um, through 
various ways of expression that I had reclaimed, right, since I'd let them drop off. So like my dance and movement and my writing and things like that, I had welcomed that stuff back in bit by bit and just remembered, oh, my God, this is me. This is actually what makes me feel alive. And so in managing my own grief, I really noticed that I was able to be with the intensity. I was really able to intentionally welcome so much of the pain and the just the absolute turmoil of the unfairness of it all and have it channeled through these creative um, modes of expression and really contact the rest of, you know, I, I was able to be in the world. So connect with nature in relationship, all of these things that, you know, five years earlier would have been lost to me because I was just like a walking head. So this work and really understanding this paradoxical dance between grief and pleasure was really just me trying to understand what the hell was going on inside of me. And, and, in no way am I saying uh, that made things easy, but what it did do was allow for a much more natural ebb and flow of the grief experience. So as everybody who has been through like a major loss um, will attest, grief comes in waves. And sometimes it can just absolutely bowl you over. And so for me, knowing that I was able to orient towards a sense of aliveness in my body and that grief itself is aliveness. Like we can't just see grief being here and pleasure being here and pleasure being the thing that we want because it makes us feel alive and joyful. Grief is also aliveness. It is an access point to vitality. When we are deep in grief, we are really, really alive. Like our entire being is buzzing with aliveness. It just feels really hard and sometimes really, really terrible. But when we can understand that that is also life force energy just as an orgasm, just as being out, you know, feeling the warmth of the sun. They are different. They're on a spectrum, but they are all aliveness. Then we can begin to fuel ourselves, nourish ourselves, support ourselves through pleasure and through really accessing the different textures available to us in our bodies because we're like, oh, I am more than just this sadness. I felt that before. What was that feeling? I'm going to go and get that again. Mm. You know, so we become our own medicine and and it there is a lot of poetry to it. It sounds really poetic. I know that. And when we're actually just in our bodies, it can be so subtle. It can just be so gentle and subtle because we are just there feeling and noticing and welcoming all of it, all the contrasting contradictions and just letting it be there. And it's really amazing when we do that, how the body does transmute, does alchemize mm. into more of the good. Mm. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's all so alive. And I love that you said like grief is aliveness too. And, you know, that, that rhetoric that we have, you know, specifically in the feminine space, which is very much like pleasure is a gateway to aliveness and um you know that's all the good stuff and we kind of label that as like this is great and then the grief and the other stuff is not great and that's not mm -hmm. you know we don't want to be feeling that or if we do we want to use it to quickly go somewhere else and yep. I think like having that awareness of like this is aliveness too and that is a portal and a gateway to something else as well is so so powerful and I wonder as well like because in the back of my mind I'm like I know that when we talk about pleasure we have this kind of definition around like from the male gaze which is very much like lingerie red roses red lipstick like that's feminine pleasure and like can you talk yeah. to me about like what is true pleasure for you mm -hmm, for me I, again this has so many different faces and and I have really loved meeting all of the faces of pleasure as as they exist within me over time, I would say 
that right now, pleasure for me is, and it's right, I'm getting wildness is coming up. It's coming mm. through because I think what I mean by that is pleasure I am really allowing pleasure to completely bust out of the box of the male gaze at the moment and of, you know, this kind of consumerist idea of of what pleasure is, that you have to buy things to feel good and you have to, you know, present yourself to the world in a very specific way in order to um, to be pleasurable to others and that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. And so I am... I have really rebelled against that and I'm really getting more curious about in my wildness what is pleasure and wildness to me is just like the most natural form of who I am and so sometimes that might look like so like absolute erotic expression that mm. is just uninhibited and that is pleasure because it is just um it is like this real channel of feminine life force that is just like, oh, I am here, look at me, and there is so much pleasure in that. And then on the complete other end of the spectrum, it is the most private, most soft, most fragile mm. experience of pleasure, right? It is that moment of when I am like quietly having a shower and and everyone's asleep and my husband's not at home and I'm like basking in that aloneness and then all of a sudden a line of poetry comes into my head and I just am inspired to write a poem. I mean, that's like the tingles of Mm. creative flow and that's pleasure. Mm. So there, and that's wild as well because that is uninhibited art that just erupts when I am in my body when I'm not off on one, you know, trying to like solve the problems of the world and like doing the to-do list when I'm just there feeling the water on my back and just going, oh, everyone's asleep. And then, oh my gosh, I'm going to write. Like boom, boom, boom. There's the flow. So it all feels wild because that is, um, it's not confined by, oh, I'd better light a candle and have a bath with a nice bath bomb and, you know, like what self-care, the prescriptions of self-care that um, capitalism has for us. It's like, no, 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 what is what is that for me? Mm. So that is, that is wild. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. And I think to add to that for myself, when I think about pleasure, it's like when it starts to rain and the wind is kind of like blowing and I can see the leaves in the background kind of like just moving slowly and I can hear the birds and I take a pause and there's like a shiver down my spine and I'm able to take a deeper breath and my shoulders kind of relax like that to me is pleasure and it's so simple and so fragile and so subtle as you say like we can miss it if we don't attune to it or if we don't know how to attune to it. And everyone has that capacity for pleasure. And so I think on the backside of that, I just wanted to, and maybe you want to speak to this as well, but like for the women who maybe feel like I don't have access to pleasure or I come from a culture that has shut that aspect of myself down. Like, I wonder if you have suggestions on how people can start to tap into that space for them on their terms. Mm. Well, you just said it so beautifully then, Ella. It's like, if you it is all about that attunement. And really, in simple terms, we can just call that noticing. That's one of my favorite words. It's just mm-hmm. noticing. Curiosity and noticing are pretty much like the pillars of sh- of the shifts that this work can unfold. And so we aren't actually, we aren't given much permission to just notice, <laughs> mm. right? We're always rushed to have to make sense of things in our life and have to have things make meaning and and have other people understand them as well. And so I really just like to invite a lens of noticing. And you have to slow down to notice. But I'm not going to lie to you, I live a fast life. Like I have lots and lots 
on. By the sheer nature of having three small people in my life and running a business. And so where this idea of always being slow and sensual all day, every day is wildly appealing to me, in this culture, I am, you know, I will take that wherever I can, but my life is not that, <laughs> no, like 90% of the time. So it is it is about an intentionality. It is about, okay, I am just going to do better at noticing, noticing mm. those moments. If you are a visual person, if you are, um, you know, if whatever senses kind of are more heightened for you, to really spend a bit of time just noticing your senses, just developing more of an awareness of your external senses because it's the external senses that actually allow for the gateway into our internal senses, our intuition, our instincts are, you know, better access once we're actually connected to what things taste like, feel like, sound like, smell like, right? So I, and it never gets old and it doesn't matter how often or for how long you've been doing this kind of work, the more that you can just Stop yourself when you feel your mind going a thousand miles an hour, the heartbeat's racing, just stopping and saying, what do I notice? Mm. I am noticing that my butt cheeks are so tight right now. (laughs) I am noticing that my breath is shallow. And I'm also noticing that beautiful red flower just hanging there in the tree. What happens when I notice that a little longer and when I breathe into that and when my butt cheeks soften because I give myself a moment, right, to be with that flower? And they are not frivolous moments because the more that we practice our noticing, the more we are attuned to what's around us and we're no longer just living in that tunnel. And that is just that simple, you know, that is how we create space and how we do create those pockets of slowness. Um, because they don't, they, no one's going to give it to us, right? No one else is going to go, here you go. Here's some slow spaciousness. I mean, a lot of the time, maybe, maybe we do get those opportunities, but generally we have to, we have to take some ownership around that ourselves. And noticing is just a really nice, simple way to begin it, you know, begin the process there. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I think sometimes we can really overcomplicate, like, the processes of things, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, in order for me to connect to my body, I have to have a 45 minute ritual and I've got to set it all up, yeah. and lock the doors and I can't have access to anything. And it's like, no, like it's so simple. And the more that we do it, the quicker and the more better, uh, the better we become at it. And I did have a question of like, you know, do you have tips for busy mothers who, you know, want to tap into their body more, but really don't have a lot of time. And I think you answered that so beautifully. It's the noticing like, okay, right now I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I'm going to just take a deep breath. I'm going to deep, like breathe deeply into my belly. Like, what am I sensing? What's a, what's alive for me in this moment? And where can I anchor mm-hmm. into something that's resourcing for me? As you said, like this flower, what happens when I notice the flower or what happens when I feel my feet like really rooted on the floor and so simple, but so powerful, the mm-hmm. ability to give ourselves like those moments during time. And the more that we can do that in our day, the more we can do that in our week, the more that we can really develop this body sensitivity, that we can make our way kind yeah. of through the world feeling, again, more anchored into pleasure. And how can I experience this more deeply? And how can I welcome this into my body more, you know, more intensely? And so, yeah, it's it's an endless resource that That's can keep right. on giving. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in honor of our time, I know it's kind of coming to a close, but I really wanted to ask you, like, what kind of keeps you doing this work and what is the work, the world that you see and the world that you want to create? Mm. I am so obsessed with this work. (laughs) I couldn't shut it off if I tried. Mm -hmm. I... I think, you know, I can answer that in, in a number of ways, but I what keeps me in the work is is probably noticing, right? Noticing who the woman was that lived just so outside of her body, who was so sad and so lost and yet 
on the outside so accomplished and so shiny and so, you know, all the things. And I just have so much tenderness for that woman and I spend a lot of time mothering her, my inner, you know, my inner Kate. And so that is really what keeps me here is that I see how far, and when I say this, like how far I've come, I don't mean like, you know, on this linear kind of uh, projected path of like, look at me now, but I just see the depth of compassion and love and acceptance that I have for myself now and how that translates into the love and compassion and acceptance that I have for my children. Mm. And, the, and how I'm able to express that now. And I see that and that is ultimately what drives me because the more that I can be me and the more that I can show them the fullness of me, that I can reveal all of, um, you know, obviously within what is appropriate for them developmentally, mm-hmm. but the more that they can see me as this full woman, mother, human, then the more they have permission to move through the world as themselves. And so it is, it is really, it starts with me and continuing to, um, yeah, to mother and love the grief that continues to emerge you know, in me and will continue to emerge as I as I walk this earth and then just to see the direct benefits in relationships, in mothering, in um, just the connections and the communities that I'm a part of now. And it's like, yeah, this is the medicine. And so that is the world I want to see, the world, a world in which we we really – um, do away with the idea of, you know, that happiness trap. And instead, we choose to just embrace our full humanness and see each other in that. And from that place, I f- feel like there is so much possibility because when we see the full humanness in ourselves and others, when shame isn't a factor, because that's really you know, shame, we, that could be a whole other podcast, but shame is the barrier to so much um, of how we feel able to access our grief and our pleasure. When that's not part of the equation, we can really come up with some incredibly creative, innovative ways forward together as a collective. Mm. And I don't, you know, until we really are able to hold the depth of our losses as individuals and and as um, a, a global family, we really are just, uh, they're Band-Aids, you know, they're Band-Aids because that, that grief bubbles away underneath and so it starts with us and our families. Mm. And, um, yeah, I have high hopes. <laughs> Mm, so beautiful I mean it's just a world that I can really get behind and chaperone myself it's just it's so beautiful and to see that individual work that you're doing with your children and in your family and then also on this collective work that you're doing in your one-to-one spaces and in the communities that you're a part of I think is so deeply important and both are just as important you know raising that next generation of people who and you know women who are going to grow up feeling like it's okay to be who I am and it's okay for me to embrace all parts of the fullness of my experience is just so powerful and what a beautiful gift that you are giving them and so just you know my hats off to you in in just the way that you are being this magnificent kind of example for for your daughters is so so beautiful um and I suppose on top of that like do you have any kind of offerings or things that you would like to share with this community or um, any upcoming programs or things that um you wanted to just offer people as a as a way into your space oh thank you for asking Ella I yeah I've got a couple of things happening I um Often or most times I'll have spaces for one-on-one work, usually a handful um, at a time. And there's a couple of inroads when you work with me one-on-one 
Um, so I kind of work around this idea of creative feminine leadership. So it is mm. all about, you know, how do we deepen into ourselves, our creativity and a lot, there will be grief work in that, you know, inherently. And so that is, is, um, I suppose one's particular lens and then there is embodied grief alchemy work. So that is more specifically, I suppose, for the woman who really recognizes that grief is, it is an enormous um, weight um, on her and in her life and it's just really looking for a new relationship as we spoke to and really how do we, um, yeah, how do we transmute the grief into aliveness and pleasure and and onto that next step of, of creative expression and really living a life that feels full and rich and magical. And then probably the other thing I would share with you is um, my four-week signature program, Grief Weavers. I'll be, I am enrolling. We actually kick off, kick off on June the 6th. So I'm not sure when this is out, but um, that's happening. That will happen a few times a year. Mm. Uh, and that is really a beautiful kind of sacred group program experience where we are weaving our grief um, personally and collectively in the space, but really understanding it as that gateway into our truest selves and mm-hmm. um, and allowing for our creative aliveness to just be known in that space together and have it witnessed. And so it's really an incredible experience um, if if you have yeah, you know that there's like some untapped magic in there, but it's grief, it's loss, it's mm. change and transition that is kind of blocking the way. So, yeah, but there's there's always plenty happening. So I'm over at kateleeper.com and on Instagram as well, kate.leeper, if you want to just hang out. Oh, beautiful. I love the name Grief Weavers too. It's just like I have this beautiful imagery of like, you know, weaving baskets and, yes. you know, into something magical. It's so beautiful. I mean, thank you so much, Kate. It's been such a, like, I've really enjoyed this episode and being able to talk about, you know, my one true love embodiment and somatics mm-hmm. with you. And, um, you know, maybe one day we'll have to chat about feminine leadership because I love that topic as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, just thank you so much for your wisdom and your space and really encouraging people to pop on over. Kate has a beautiful website, which I enjoyed reading in preparation for oh, our podcast. So really recommend that. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for being here. It's been beautiful. I've loved it so much, Ella. Thank you for being such a, a beautiful host and just really asking the most incredible questions. I appreciate you.